Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll, and today we have Adam Johnson on the show. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me on. It's good to have you. So Adam is a Django contributor, and he's written some books, not just on Django, but on other other topics too. So I thought it'd be fun to have him come on the show and just tell us about all the things he's been up to. So for example, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and like your journey to programming or web programming or stuff like that? Sure, uh, I'd love to. Um, I started with QBasic on the mm -hmm. Windows 95 computer. My dad got us a family computer um, mm -hmm. and he basically didn't buy us like many games or anything. He just kind of tried to sit us down with QBasic, walk my brother mm -hmm. and I through it, got us a little book on how to do it. And before long, we were building our own games. And um, cool. that bug just kind of stuck. I went through uh, a thing called Dark Basic, which let you build games on later Windows platforms with 3D graphics. Mm -hmm. And then I started building websites in PHP. I went nice. to university to study computing. And then I went into working in startups after that. That's really cool. <laughs> Games are something I've always wanted to get into, so it's fun to fun to hear other people who've done it. Yeah, I haven't built one in a while, apart from with this tool called um, Game Boy Studio, GB Studio. It lets you build Game Boy games that you can also play in the web browser these days. That's neat. Have you happened to try out any of the, the Python gaming packages at all? Uh, I haven't really, no. I've, I've seen a lot of demos at PyCon UK especially, but... Uh, Okay. Never found the time. Yeah. <laughs> they look like they have a little bit of a steep learning curve, so I haven't jumped into it yet. Yeah. Uh, I think I, if I started, I'd discover just how bad my basics level uh, game <laughs> code was. I'd be trying to do it all this way with like uh, go-tos and everything. But I can't do a go-to in Python. Oh, no. Now I have to start structuring my game code. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what are some of your favorite uh, Python packages or modules? Well, I would have to say Django, as I'm mm -hmm. contributed to it and have been using it basically the whole of my professional career. Wow. Um, I came into uh, the world of work after university having only built websites with PHP, but mm -hmm. my first job was with Django, and it kind of like structured the thoughts I'd had on web programming before that because I wasn't using any frameworks before. Okay. And yeah, I've uh, just stuck with Django since. So it's a favorite. Um, there are so many others out there. Mm -hmm. like, uh, it's hard to pick favorites. So maybe I can plug something instead and say okay. Time Machine. Uh, time Machine is my testing library for mm. testing time. And so there's one out there called Freeze Gun that's very popular. Mm -hmm. um, but time, time Machine is basically an optimized version of that. So if oh, your nice. tests are using Freeze Gun and they're running a bit slow, if you switch to Time Machine with minimal changes, just the names, then you should find mm -hmm. things go faster. Well, that's really cool. Have you ever tried any of the other uh, Python web frameworks? Just, just curious. Yeah, I've... Um, 
I've tested a bunch of them actually. I I was working on a contract for an APM company, application performance monitoring. Okay. So they had a Python plugin for all the different Python web frameworks that would capture the relevant data, like how mm. long was the request, what was the URL. Um, so I had to dive into the code that existed for the different mm-hmm. frameworks and then uh, write some more integrations. So I went through all of them, like Flask, Quart, Bottle, um, Falcon, some niche ones, Fast mm. API, Starlet. So yeah, I've really had a look around all of them, at least in the surface details and like how you write a view and URL and whatever. Um, but I keep coming back to Django um, just because it's like all in one. Like everything's everything's there that you need to build a functional website. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the others are quite as integrated. There is that old uh, saying that people have. I don't know where it came from that if you start off with a Flask or something else, you end up building your own Django by piecing together loads of little libraries, one for the database and one for migrations, mm-hmm. one for writing forms, one for building an admin interface maybe, and then before you know it, you've got a Django. Yeah, I think the only thing I can think of that's even kind of like Django would be Plone. Yeah, and that's pretty old by this point. And yeah, it, it's old and it's still, it's still kicking, but it's old. It's still kicking, but well, I guess you can't say that. Django is like uh, 18 years old. Um, yes. <laughs> I haven't seen Plone popping up and evolving very much. And it seems to be on a maintenance life cycle more and a bit more niche as well. That's true. I think it was I think it was really popular in the government space for a long time. Ah, right. And then now we have these newcomers like Robin. It's like popping up and trying to speed up the web with their their Rust-based runtimes. Oh, right. Yeah, I haven't looked at that one. I I don't do a lot of web programming. I just kind of like read about it. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see. I'm curious. You were were talking about, um, or I was talking about you writing books. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, writing books. Not everyone goes goes that far. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people want to that, right? Um, <laughs> that's where I was at. I was. I've always been an avid reader, and when I was like a few years into coding, I realized that like I was reading so many blog posts that were helping me that I'd really mm-hmm. like to write and give back to that kind of ecosystem of blog posts and things you find on google when you're searching for how to do x y or z so i i just started blogging and naturally that just kind of evolved into well sometimes there's more to write about than fits in a blog post and i'd like to sit down and do that at some point and then my hand was kind of forced by covid Mm. my main client at the time in march 2020 they scaled back their expenses and so they paused my contract, naturally, as they're mm. fully welcome to do. Um, and rather than like search around for something else, I realized I was in a good spot to take a pause and try my hand at, at writing a whole book. And cool. that became the Speed Up Your Django Tests project. It's just a whole bunch of info that I'd gathered over years of improving test performance on Django projects. It's a mm-hmm. recurring issue that people still have to this day. Um, 
just it's very easy to write a slow test suite. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of little tips there, and I just kind of rolled them up into a logical structure, and I felt like yeah, there's this book worthy three months um, mm -hmm. and some technical reviews, and it was ready to ready to ship. Wow, three months. That's a that's a short writing period. It, it was quite a three months, yeah, but I I didn't have any any other work to do, so. That's true. Um, what kind of challenges did you find when you're writing a book for the first time? Yeah, it's it's really hard to know if what you're doing is 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 uh, right. It's going to be useful um, if you're heading down a good path with what you're writing. It's mm -hmm. like quite an investment to like squeeze out even a few pages of um, structured logical text, as I'm sure you're aware. It mm -hmm. sometimes feels like squeezing blood out of a stone, as they say. So yeah, <laughs> you start to doubt yourself, right? You're like, is this is this right? Uh, do I know everything that I need to, to actually have written this? Is mm -hmm. it going to be true? And then are people going to use it on the other end? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's waves of emotion. <laughs> I see you like, put all this work in <laughs> and you don't know. Um. I got some encouraging feedback from my reviewers and uh, speaking about a bit on Twitter, at least mm -hmm. as it was known as at the time. Um, and I think shipping early uh, really helps just like close it up so in my mind. You did the, the paradigm where you ship like some chapters before the book is completed so people could check it out. Not in this case. Okay. Not in this case. Um, but I did, I did do like an an update after it had gone out to okay. do some improvements, and yeah, it's definitely overdue for another update. Um, just with mm -hmm. Django version, Python version, and my own knowledge about the world moving on. Yeah. So you were saying, you know, a lot of people, and I know a lot of people want to write books. What would what would you say is your like writing process? How do you like formulate? I'm going to write this chapter. Is there like a process to it or you just like sit down and start typing? I've definitely refined that over time. Um, I think starting with the table of contents and mm -hmm. expanding that is really the way of like putting all the ideas into some kind of sequence and deciding whether it's worth your time to expand or mm -hmm. cut or move around some, some topics because there's always more to cover than you can write down. Like mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the world. So yeah, the, this new book I basically just wrote a, a set of bullet points with sub bullet points and sub sub bullet points down to the like you know one to two page sub subsection kind of granularity. I was like, am I going to cover this thing? If I'm going to cover this thing, how am I? Which bits of it am I going to cover? Um, so I tried to do that uh, for all of the parts. Some of them, I was like, I know I'm going to cover this command in Git, and it's a question of like, what is there to cover? So I'd actually be doing some research before I could mm -hmm. write out a list of titles for subsections. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good like a good approach. A little bit more granular than what mine is, but it's very similar. Mm -hmm. so. I think it's hard to be too strict with any one approach, though, because there's always yeah. things you come across on the way. 
Yeah, I, I find that doing some kind of outline ahead of time just helps scope out yep. your your work your workload, so to speak. And then you can break it down into little individual pieces, kind of like how Scrum says you should do with, you know, a, a project. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoping is super important. Um, that's something I've gotten better at, I think, because if you say like who the book is for, like what mm -hmm. skill level, then you can decide whether or not you need to explain this, that, or the other. Like, yes. do I really need to go into and say like what Bash is? Probably mm -hmm. not. In my in my case, yeah. So why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your latest book and why you decided to write on that subject? Because I I know it's not Django, so let's let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So the book is called Boost Your Git DX, meaning your developer experience. Um, it's a collection of tips, tricks, and detailed tutorials about certain commands for using Git in a slightly more advanced way, improving your workflow, being the main focus. Um, okay. So it's like which bits of Git configuration uh, should we most, most of us probably consider turning on to speed up certain commands like push or uh, when you make a typo or things like that. There's a lot of features mm -hmm. in Git that just, they exist, but they aren't very well advertised. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's part of our experience with Git. Like, it, it is everywhere, but as developers, we mostly, like, learn enough to do our jobs and then kind of plateau with it because it's mm -hmm. it's quite a foundational or background tool, and there's so much more to learn in our programming languages and technologies there that if we know enough yeah. Git to get on with making our pull requests and merging them, then it can feel like that's good enough. Um, mm -hmm. But then... On the flip side, we get this meme that if something confusing happens to Git, we delete our local repository and download it again. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope that confusing thing doesn't recur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I um, think that's not just limited to Git because I've had that happen with Perforce too, where I'm like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the, I really screwed up my, my version control. How do I fix this? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's version control, but... These days, it's like nine ninety four percent of developers use Git, uh, less than one percent use Subversion, and then the rest mm -hmm. are, are down there. Yeah, that's from the Stack Overflow numbers. I think it was something like that. Um, yeah, um, but version control, Git, it's a deep subject, and each little bit you learn could actually improve your day to day experience. Uh, getting code mm -hmm. written and, co and compiled and deployed. Um, and it's that thing. If you make a few 1% adjustments, then you can start doubling the speed you're, you're doing things, at least the speed of the things you're doing with Git. You can't make yourself a twice as fast coder just by speeding up the Git, but, but you can make yourself yeah. a bit faster. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I, I picked up your book because I was curious about Git. Because I mean, I, I use it all the time, but I don't know how to do more than like the basic commands. And mm -hmm. I'm like, this is really cool. I didn't know about I didn't know about Worktree, for example. And Worktree is super handy when yeah, you need I, it. I wish I'd known about that when yeah. people come to me with a hotfix. I'm like, dang, that would be super handy to have known that you know a year ago. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's those commands. I really enjoyed all the neat uh, command line tooling you've added in there, like um, Starship. 
mm-hmm. and explaining how I think it's called less. I didn't even yes. know that. What, I didn't even know that thing had a name. For example, oh, right. yeah, that one is that one's phenomenal. Yeah, less is the um, the pager command you get. So when you open, uh, say the log, and you're scrolling through it, you're pressing buttons to scroll it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a piece of software written in 1973, I think. I, I wrote the exact year in the book. Mm-hmm. And the same person has maintained it since. And it's there on oh, wow. GitHub. It has 200 stars. But, you know, it's maybe <laughs> run like 100 million, a billion times a day because mm-hmm. everyone using Git is using less. And so many other Linux commands like default to using less because yes. it's the so called pager. Um, well, Unix commands that would be macOS users as well. And, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people would, don't realize you can customize it. So I've written a bit about how you can customize it in the book. Yeah, I've only read about half of the book, I think. And I'm like, wow, I've, I've already got a bunch of good tips in here. And so I'm looking forward to finishing it myself. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you try the less configuration? Yes, I was playing around with that. Um, I wanted to try out Starship, but my company blocks it right now, so I got to oh, argue gosh. with them about that. Um, what was the other tool I was trying out? It was one of the. It was the diff one, I think. I got yeah, to Delta. Delta, yes. Yeah. So I was playing with that a little bit too. That that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a that's a very neat one. Um, that enhances your diff display on the terminal and makes it almost as good as GitHub, I think. Mm-hmm. Some of the examples, this isn't a criticism, but some of the examples had to be tweaked just a little bit for Windows because I happen to be on a Windows machine, not my job. But they all still work, which is really cool. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is awesome. I can still do everything in the book. I just have to install it a little bit differently than I thought I would. So, Yeah, Windows support, it's uh, something I might add on a, a further pass. Um, a few commands to change or, or duplicate and say, if you're on Windows, do this. Um, yeah, but, I think there was there was something stupid about UTF eight and you had to like re encode when you like created the the configuration file or something for one of them. And I'm yeah, like, what? I got your email about it through my feedback system. Yeah. Okay. That's annoying. I, I just I was really surprised. I thought I thought PowerShell already did UTF eight out of the box. So I was surprised that it didn't do it automatically. Surprising to me too. It's it seems like everything is UTF eight these days. I know. That's why I was like, what? Why do I have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem. It's just like I didn't expect that at all. Um did you what kind of things did you learn when you were writing that book? I'm just curious. Um, it really refined like the things I thought I knew. So sometimes sometimes I was like, I'm gonna write a section on like this command option thing I've seen used like a couple times and then when I look at it I was like oh actually this doesn't really work the way it's meant to so I'm just gonna or the way I expected it to and it's kind of hard to explain and that would mean that Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to remember to use properly so yeah I'm just gonna drop it (laughs) yeah um yep and I think the other thing was I did find out quite a lot of new stuff during the research process. Um, so, for example, with Git reset, I used to use Git reset with the soft and the hard modes. So the mm-hmm. soft mode, like, undoes the last undoes the last commit or the last however many commits you want, and it leaves mm-hmm. the files there for you to recommit. 
whereas the hard mode, it will throw away the changes. Okay. But when I read the docs, I found there were a couple more modes, and one of them is actually better than hard for the doing the same thing because it throws away the changes of the past commits, but it doesn't throw away your uncommitted changes, whilst the hard mode does throw hmm. away your uncommitted changes. And so it seems to me like mostly we really want to use this other mode called keep than hard mode because your uncommitted changes, they're, they're very precious in terms of version control because they're mm -hmm. the only changes that haven't got any copy in Git. Like if you undo a commit with Git, you can always undo the undo because mm -hmm. it still has the old versions of your commits lying around. But hmm. if, you, if you throw away uncommitted changes, they're gone unless you have them like in memory in your text editor. Yeah. So, yeah, it just feels huh. to me like there are a few things that like common practice. Actually, there's a better mode in Git, and it just never got really well advertised or spread. So, yeah, I, I wasn't that. aware of that of Keep either. So that's good to know. I don't think I've got that far in your book yet. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, that one do deserves you... a blog post. I must must find the time for it. Yeah, I think that'd be a good one to have out there. Maybe you could compare the differences between the the two popular modes and keep or something like that. Yeah. So what are some lessons you learned either with this book or just as a book writer in general? Number one is is get feedback. Like I was saying, it's it's hard to know if what you've written is uh, mm -hmm. useful. Um, so I'd, between each of the three books, I've just increased the amount of exposure I've gotten. Um, and I think I'll continue to do that if I write another book. With the first one, I asked a few friends who I thought knew the topic well to do a technical review. The second one, I did some beta reading. With this one, I've done a lot of beta reading, and then I opened it mm -hmm. up for early access for three months. And then okay. there's also this feedback form I built. There's a link in the bottom of every page to uh, the bottom of every chapter to mm -hmm. click. You open a form. You can say what you found good or bad about the chapter or, or anything really. And I collect, I collect all that and see it per version per chapter and I can action it. I think I must have gotten about a thousand pieces of feedback on this book that I ended up actioning That's from cool. like small typos to like, hey, did you know about this thing? To, hey, I found this section hard. Mm -hmm. So that really helped me refine it. And and I think I'll continue to do it as I consider updating the book in a, maybe six months or a year. I think that's I think that's a really good idea. I, I, I like I like the internal links in the book that I'll, that says uh, covered previously or coming going to be covered and you can just jump down or up if you need to. Oh yeah. I, I really wanted to structure it as well, something you can dive into like oh, I'd like to know more about this commanding Git or just this bit rather than mm -hmm. something to be read linearly. Yeah. I think that I think that makes the book stand stand apart from some other technical books I've read. They don't they don't utilize uh, hot links in PDFs very well and your book does a good job of that. Yeah, thank you. Did you have another version as a just in PDF? It's PDF, uh, EPUB, and AZW3, which is the Kindle file format, okay. the modern Kindle one. Yeah. Um, but the e-reader ones, they're a bit more like best effort. Like I yeah. can't be 
duplicating screenshots to make them more readable or anything like that. So yeah, I even with Mobi files when when that was the format for Kindle, I never did find a good way to make Kindle books nice or as nice as a PDF version. It's a challenge because they have to scale and some some people read it really high tech size and then mm -hmm. you can't really fit code on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people people use their little tiny phones and some people use mm -hmm. big tablets and yeah. It's a problem. And I'm I'm going through Sphinx, so mm -hmm. whatever Sphinx does, um I don't have like extreme control over the result. It's I can tweak bits, but yeah. I'll I'll let it do what it does and Hopefully that's good enough for most people. Many people say it's okay. So, yeah, I, I've I think I've gotten past getting complaints about the Amazon versions, but or the Kindle versions, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. But I I don't I'm not satisfied with them myself. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard I to mean. see your work just by like being mangled on the page. The formatting is all like basic and. Yeah, I think it's more for me. I see my picture, my photos, and I'm like, that could be so much sharper if they yeah. just let me upload a better image. Oh, well. So do you have any advice for uh, just like regular people who want to get into writing? Yeah, I've, I've put together a short list here of things I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, number one, read some writing guides. There's a whole lot of wisdom out there. Mm -hmm. Um there's a Google technical writing guide. I think if you just Google that, you'd find it. Um, okay. That covers a lot of like small rules, like improvements to language and ways to explain things and just keeping your sentences short and clear and understandable. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the U.S. government has a simple English guide. That's oh, nice. for all... U.S. government writing across departments, that's what they try to follow, make it accessible to every citizen. And if you make it accessible to a broad range of readers, then your work's mm -hmm. just going to be more comprehensible in general. Yeah, that makes sense. Number two, keep it short. Um, tech blogs especially seem to be prone to rambling and not really providing <laughs> information or helping anyone learn. Um, there are some good long-form posts out there. That's cool. But mm -hmm. when they start like degrading into very long opinions or uh, paragraphs that run on and on, then people stop mm -hmm. reading. There's a lot of other things on the internet. And also you're not, you're not really focusing your uh, ideas in your head. So if you can just mm -hmm. condense things as much as possible. It's more interesting for the reader and it's better for you as a writer because you'll have like processed the ideas better, which mm -hmm. is part of the goal of writing, right? Is to yeah. become better at the thing you're writing about yourself. Yep, yep. Uh, number three, cut cliches. Like we have a bunch of cliched phrases I see people using in tech, um, but they, they don't aid comprehension especially using words that um, like as stand-ins. So like when we say like, uh, oh yeah, you know, let, let's drop that file. When what you mean is to delete that file, then like mm. if someone doesn't understand that drop means delete, then they're not going to uh, 
follow on from that. Mm -hmm. It's just like putting this like slight little barrier in that some people are going to stumble over. So yeah, yeah, just try and say a word as as a word. Yes. Um, yeah, and the fourth one is it's like a tool recommendation. Um, it's for Grammarly. It's not an advert or anything, but I used it on mm. this book and I found it really tightened up my prose. Um, I made a pass when I was about halfway through writing and found like a thousand or so like little sentence level edits that mm -hmm. just made the whole book easier. Have you, have you used it? Yes. I, the, the real Python uh, people actually recommended it to me because you can set it up to do active voice and, in, and do technical writing both. There's like yep. different checkboxes inside there so you can configure it to the type of writing that you're exactly. targeting. And so I, I use it for everything now. And it, it really does. It tightens up your, your writing. I don't agree with everything that it gives me, of course, because I don't want my I don't want I don't want to sound like a Grammarly robot. I want to sound yeah. like my, my myself. But <laughs> it does have really good suggestions, and I really like I really like a lot of them. Yeah, I find it it oversteps the line into like, hey, you're changing my voice here, like maybe five percent mm -hmm. of the time, but the rest of them, I'm like, yeah, okay. Fair enough. There should be a comma there. This part of the sentence, yes. the front actually makes it clearer and so on. Yeah, someone at Grammarly really likes the word excellent, though. They're always trying to put that in instead of great. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anyone who says excellent that often. As yes, <laughs> you can just overhyping everything. Yeah. <laughs> this is excellent, and that is excellent, and this is even more excellent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like Bill and Ted, excellent or something. Yeah. Else, weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't mean to interrupt your your list. Do you have any other? That's any the other list, ones? actually. That's the okay. list. Yeah. Well, great. I think this was a really good um, set of questions to go over and learn about your book and all the good things you've been doing. That that's awesome. I'm glad to chat with another author. Yeah, it's super fun. We didn't really talk about what you, how you contribute to Django. So let's just talk about that just for a little bit. Like, what do you do with the Django Foundation or the Django code base? Sure. Um, so I started with Django in 2012. I started contributing in 2014. Okay. Um, in the world of Django, we've got like Django itself, the core, and then there's a rich ecosystem of packages. Mm -hmm. um, from the very popular Django REST framework used for APIs down to fairly niche ones that solve a little problem. So I've built a few of the smaller kinds of packages that people mm -hmm. find useful, and I've contributed to the framework um, a fair bit. I like to do more review these days than actual um, pull requests. I don't think I have the yeah. mental energy for like a very large pull request. It sometimes takes a while to get a feature into Django, but mm -hmm. when I can, I like to drop him on some of the features that I care about to uh, review. And I think I okay. especially bring some something to the table in terms of documentation. So I often cool. try and help improve the, the docs and the release notes for new features. There are two features coming into Django 5, which is coming out in about a month's time, start of December, that, um, yeah, I, I helped contribute a lot of the docs and reading, um, mm -hmm. writing and just tightening up how we explain what this thing is and how it can help you. 
So yeah, I think that is an underappreciated art. We need to we need to encourage people. If you can't figure out how to uh, contribute, like a code fix, you might be able to come up with a good way to write the sentence better. Indeed. Yeah, and the Django docs they're massive. You know, they're mm-hmm. many long books worth at this point, and there are bits that are a bit out of date that could be updated. There are. Mm bits of language that were done very early on that are very kind of informal and not as, as like tight and short as I was saying, like will help most people understand mm-hmm. things. So yeah, there's always something to do. If you're using yep. a project and you read the docs one day and you're like, Oh, this could be better. Yeah. Just jump. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's really awesome. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of the end of our show. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your experiences with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you guys next time. Follow on Apple Podcasts. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.